the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back, Ridiculous Historians. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Today, we're talking about the dogs of war, the hot dogs of war, uh, sausage war. There's the one and only super producer, Max Williams. I'm Ben. Noel, I think this title stood out to both of us, huh? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, they say, say war is the verst. <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, hot dog. They don't really say that. Hot diggity dog. Uh, yeah, you know, and I'll tell you, we, the title stood out to both of us. Uh, we thought it would be a light one. Oh, a sausage war. That sounds delightful. Right. Like maybe there'll be some rival chefs a arguing over a recipe as to yeah. how much fennel their sausage should be stuffed in or which right. types of casings to use. No, no, we yeah. should have read a little deeper before we tackle this one. It is, in fact, about a quite bloody conflict between the Soviet Union and Finland. Yes, a absolute bloodbath. On November 30th, 1939, half a million Soviet soldiers swarmed north. They were armed to the teeth. They had tanks. They had machine guns. This was part of what's known as the Winter War. But the Russian enemy, in this case, wasn't the Third Reich. Even though it's 1939, it wasn't Third Reich. Instead, it was Finland. And Never Finland see Finland was, coming. Yeah, Never see they, Finland coming. Like they say in Hamilton, they were outnumbered, outmanned, outgunned. I can't remember exactly how that song goes, but you know the one I'm talking about. I sort of do. Never, you know, I've never gotten Hamilton. I'm going to come out there and say a hot take. I don't get Hamilton. I don't get all the hype. Ah, uh, well, the hype can ruin a good thing. You know what it I mean? Really can't. Like, I never, I never was able to make it all the way through. And the Disney Plus version of it is beautifully filmed. It's really, really well done. I just, I don't know. It's, I find it a little cringe. I'm not gonna mm -hmm. lie. I find Lin Manuel Miranda a little cringe. 
let, let, let us know what you think about Hamilton. Um, <laughs> but yeah, outgunned indeed and taken by surprise. Uh, you would think Finland would have to give up to Stalin. I mean, Stalin is just known as this iron-fisted, you know, military powerhouse in Finland. You don't even think that they have guns. I would just assume they have like pointy sticks or something, but they, they had some guns. They just didn't have as many as the Soviets. But for one shining moment, uh, it would seem that this might be a David and Goliath type situation with Finland as the uh, the tiny little David with the sling and Russia being the giant who maybe is going to be toppled by just stick to and gumption of the little guy. And the little guy in this situation, or at least the rock in that sling, was sausage. Yeah, true story. So 1939, journey back there with us, folks. Europe collectively is worried about Germany and their warmongering, but a conflict between the USSR and Finland is also in the wind. In fact, it seems unavoidable. Stalin himself reportedly resented Finland because once upon a time, it was Russian territory, and it had always fought back against attempts to assimilate the country into Russian culture. And, you know, of course, you just have to take a casual glance at the map. Uh, Russia, geographically, is much, much larger than Finland. But in Stalin's mind, and to a lot of, uh, a lot of other people in Russia at the time, the loss of Finland was a terrible example of the diminishment of the Russian Empire. You know what I mean? They thought of the days when Finland was part of Russia as the glory days of the empire. So they took the loss, or at least Stalin took the loss, very personally. Yeah, it seems like Stalin took most things pretty personally. Um, If you've seen the movie The Death of Stalin, he was a very petty man um, who would let no slight go unpunished, right? Uh, That was sort of his whole vibe. So behind the scenes, the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany had kind of colluded or at least made this agreement not to interfere with uh, each other's territorial you know, goals in certain parts of Europe anyway. Um, and the Soviet Union and Finland had signed this non-aggression pact in 1932. Stalin started flexing uh, and making that beef very public and demanding that Finland cede that territory. Um, just a couple of years after they'd signed this non-aggression pact, and you could definitely argue that him uh, mounting this kind of public campaign is certainly aggressive. The kind of aggressive that uh, George Bush would would say we will not let stand. Um, so when Hitler finally invaded Poland in 1939, that's when Stalin saw his chance to yeah. get in there and, and yeah. take back what he thought was rightfully his. Yeah, because the world's eyes are on Germany and Poland. So Stalin, as you said, sees an opportunity. November 30th, 1939, Soviet forces bomb Helsinki and they launch their invasion. The international community is, of course, not supportive of this, but it seems like their their hands are tied. Soviet victory seems inevitable. The Finnish forces are outnumbered three to one. This war looks like it's not just going to be a victory for the Soviet forces, but it looks like it's going to be a very short war. Uh, this assault, like we said, there, there are over 600,000 Soviet troops, thousands of tanks, planes, heavy artillery. 
the Finnish army is less than half the size of the invading army, and they only have a few tanks. They don't really have a ton of planes, and they're they're also to be to be blunt, they're low on bullets. Like even if they had more guns, would they have the ammunition to put in them? That's a big problem. They're outnumbered. They're outgunned. They are subjected to massive barrages of artillery attacks. In one case, as pointed out by WarOnTheRocks.com, over 300,000 artillery shells fell on Finnish positions in the space of a day. Oh, my God. How could you come back from that? And according to many, you know, written accounts from the time, the sound of those munitions hitting could be heard uh, over 100 miles away in Helsinki. It was so cacophonous. And there's just so many of them. Third, 300,000 shells. I mean, we're talking like big old, these are like, you know, mortar shells, right, Ben? Like mortar rounds? Yeah, this is artillery. These are, these are not fireworks. You know what I mean? No. They're doing serious, serious damage. And then right after these, right after these shock and awe attacks, the Soviet troops try to storm the Finnish bunkers. But what, like, just to give you a sense of the destruction, folks, when the Soviets would get into these bunkers, they would see the Finnish defenders, the occupants of the bunkers, dead from the sheer concussive force of these artillery blasts. That's right. It reminds me of uh, the story we did about the uh, Hunley, uh, where, you know, many of the the, the crew of the Hunley was found um, peacefully dead. Uh, and that turned out to be largely because they were killed by shockwaves, underwater shockwaves from those uh, mines, I believe is what it was, uh, undersea mines. So, I mean, just, just literally those kinds of vibrations, even if it's not a direct hit, can like liquefy your insides practically. Yep. Shout out to Rachel Lance. Uh, it's so crazy that we know the world's foremost authority on underwater explosions. That's a feather in my cap. I don't know about you, man, but I, I, I sometimes think about that when I need a little, you know, a little pick me up. A little pick me up. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that was <laughs> so, a very, very cool episode. Um, okay. So dead, eerily silent. Again, according to waronthe Finnish troops laying, you know, placidly in their bunkers does not seem like the type of turnaround victory or the, you know, the type of like underdog story that we promised. Right. So how do we get there? Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. 
You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Let's introduce Group Talvela. Uh, the Finnish Four Corps was given the job of securing Finland, specifically the northern shore of Lake Ladoga. They had two full divisions. They had battalions assigned to it. Uh, in the opening days of the Winter War, the Corps actually wasn't doing very well, and the leaders allowed their units to give up a lot of ground, which, of course, led to a rapidly deteriorating wartime situation. There's a character we want to introduce, Colonel Pavo Talvela. He was a uh, he was a veteran of uh, something that we're going to treat very seriously. <laughs> the um, despite being children, <laughs> the, the, the nineteen nineteen uh, Aunus expedition, it's, which was very, looks very, very much like next. anus. He went very deep, <laughs> probed the depths. Yes, it's an expedition deep into a region. Uh, uh, it's a penetrative mission. Uh, <laughs> It's been a long week, folks, but this is a real story, the Anus expedition, and we're um, we're we're adults. But uh, so this Colonel Talvela, after his uh, extensive but imperfect, uh, you know, experiences with Anus, uh, he, had, he had also written a thesis about combat operations in the Anus. Why did she have to say it again? I was almost recovered. <laughs> oh, no. Hey, Ben, I'm okay now. I am wiping these 
tears away from my eyes. Uh, and I'm going to power power on, sally forth, as they say. Um, he uh, held a, a meeting with a uh, another very important man, a marshal by the name of Carl Mannerheim, who was concerned that if the situation continued to escalate, they were likely going to end up losing their advantage, the front that they had, uh, and then ultimately the war. So the Soviet Eighth Army was already on its way to uh, Vartilia. Uh, Ver- Vertilia, I'm going to call it. It's got the umlaut over the A and the second A. Um, and that was a very important strategic railway junction that would open up the way um, to the uh, Karelian Isthmus, which is another very, very important strategic location. And then they would have access to the main defense line. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the idea. And it's a pretty solid argument. At least Mannerheim thinks so. He's convinced. And so Tavella says, look, here's what you need to do. You need to send some folks over to relieve some of the pressure here. So Mannerheim sends the Infantry Regiment 16, known as the JR-16, under the command of a friend of Tavella's, a guy named Lieutenant Colonel Aro Pajari. And Pajari gets his regiment from the railway to the front lines. Tavella is giving the command of a special group called Group Tavella, and they get a pretty hardcore cinematic order they're told to stop the Soviet advance by any means necessary. Do you think he named the group after himself or it was bestowed upon them by some higher up? Unclear, unclear, but I would like to think that somebody else just called it that. It seems... I'd like to think so, too. It seems a little weird. humility. Tal Vela. Come on. Yeah, come on, um, man. So, so he's got... They're, they're you know, presumably, like, uh, they've got a special set of skills, right? Um, yeah. They're ordered to get out there, get, a, get ahead of this problem, stop the Soviet advance using whatever, you know, special set of skills they were, you know, gifted with. And together, Talvela and Parjari um, were able to kind of, you know, rally the troops. The Finnish forces at this point were kind of like down, a little downtrodden. Um, They were not feeling like they had much of a chance. And the Soviets were still advancing uh, at a a pretty significant clip. Um, So Parjari decided uh, to conduct the kind of behind-the-lines raid uh, against the Soviet forces that were coming um, closer and closer to the area. So Prajari, in his uh, ragtag band of, you know, ninjas, just gets even more ninja-like with what I'm about to tell you, they actually ski. Uh, they're snow ninjas. They ski through the forests of North Karelia um, under the cover of night. Um, there is also a, there's a, like a diversionary attack by that other company, um, JR-16, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Infantry Regiment 16. And after a few hours of skiing, the raiding party came across a regiment of Soviet soldiers who were asleep uh, in a valley by um, Kivizalmi. Kivizalmi. Yeah, here's what they did. They were these are guerrilla tactics. Uh, they are launching surprise attacks, and then they're immediately relocating so that the the Soviet forces, which still outnumber them, are unable to muster up some kind of counterattack. So these guys are are doing drive-bys on skis, basically. They're firing, they're skiing away, and then they're uh, confusing the enemy. The raid was massively successful. The only casualty, actually, was Pajari himself, who had a mild heart attack on the return journey. So this raid was huge for the morale of the Finnish forces, 
And it was incredibly demoralizing for Soviet forces. But even though this made the Finns feel a little bit better, most observers still thought this was just delaying the inevitable and that Soviet forces would win the war. Except, that is, for a crucial misstep uh, that they made on their side. The forces who took over the border in November 1939, they weren't in great shape because they, they lost a lot of leadership due to Stalin's famous paranoia. You know, he's known for purging his political rivals and even people who thought they were friends with him. Between 1937 and 1939, over 30,000 high-ranking officers had been, at the very least, fired. A lot of them were arrested or executed. And Stalin's supporters were put in their places, regardless of what their qualifications might be. This is pretty bad news because these new officers are green. They don't really know what they're doing. They're bureaucrats. They're not soldiers. Right. And also just that, you know, that kind of climate. And we've all been there, work for a company or whatever, where you're always kind of like paranoid about what your boss is going to do. Maybe a bunch of your colleagues have just gotten fired and you're kind of living in constant fear. It's terrible for morale. Um, so all these rank and file troops uh, in the Soviet armies were just kind of like just ill at ease. And like you said, the new officers that were installed were were just not very experienced. They didn't really know how to command troops on the ground. And this, in fact, backfired uh, in Finland, where many of the Red Army troops were not used to that type of uh, climate. Um, mm -hmm. And the uh, the more green kind of like leadership now, they weren't used to, you know, training for winter kind of conditions or anything like that. And so they also weren't particularly able to properly keep their troops fed and clothed and you know, uh, guarded against the elements. So their, you know, seemingly less formidable foe than the Finnish, while they definitely had a disadvantage in terms of like power, firepower and, and manpower, uh, they were definitely better fed and much more used to the climate and then these, uh, you know, wintry conditions. So there are even tales of food shortages that got so bad that uh, cannibalism was taking place among the Russian rank and file. Yeah, and this isn't for everyone, folks, but it's widely understood that the cannibalism did actually occur. That claim is supported by actual Finnish photographs from the time period. So this is, this is a war of extremes. It's one of the coldest winters on record. Uh, the Finnish forces have the home turf advantage because they live in this area. You know what I mean? They're used to the brutal climate. Daylight is only lasting a few hours. Temperatures are regularly going way below freezing. This means that if you have any exposed flesh and you're out in the wild, you can immediately get frostbite. Mm -hmm. Bodies will freeze. Yeah, bodies will freeze in minutes. You could probably use dead bodies for a barrier if you wanted because they, they would become that hard. Uh, the radios aren't always working because of the raging blizzards. You can't do a lot of aerial reconnaissance. Uh, and also, these winter storms make firing artillery tricky. So the Finns uh, see this and recognize it as an advantage. That's pretty neat, man. If you think about it, 
you think about the the desert and like the tundra as being like could be like you know no pun intended polar opposites but if you look at the types of clothing that the finnish soldiers wore they re- they re- they really resemble the types of clothing Bedouins or folks who, you know, make their home or travel a lot in the desert where they're called snow capes and they're like literally these kind of loose fitting kind of like cloths that go over their head, almost like a turban and then over their body. And it apparently was something that helped them adapt to the climate. And they also used uh, reindeer. And again, we've already talked about how the Finnish troops were skiing. They were used to this terrain and they could take advantage of it and actually make it work uh, for them especially when it came to the element of surprise. Yeah, and keep in mind that when we're talking about the Russian and Ukrainian soldiers not being familiar with the area or the climate, very few of those individuals could even use snowshoes. So skiing is kind of out of the question for them. Also, those khaki uniforms stick out from a long way away, which is not not a good look uh, if you're on the Soviet side. So these Finnish ski troopers were able to take, were able to engage in multiple strategies and they were able to come from multiple directions, you know, a snowbank or what have you. The infantry and armored units of the Soviets have to stay on these really narrow forest roads and they're long columns because they're marching in a line, right? Or they're rolling the tanks in a line. They can be ambushed and they can be cut apart by something that uh, the Finns called Mati tactics, M-O-T-T-I. That's a, uh, it's a term for a, a, a measure of firewood. So they were chopping them down like wood is what, what that name refers to. Interesting. There's actually a, a scholarly paper on Mati tactics and Finnish military historiography since World War II. That is the very sexy title of it from the University of Eastern Finland by Pasi Tunainen, if you want to read a little bit more about this uh, particular historical tactic. But um, again, I keep referring to them as snow ninjas because that's exactly what they were. They were able to move very silently with these reindeer who also need to be able to move silently to stay away from predators. Um, They were transporting their heavier kind of artillery on these very silently moving, uh, well-adapted reindeer, whereas the Soviets were still using motorized vehicles so they could hear them coming a mile away. Um, I have to mention that the Soviets were starting to really show uh, their fatigue and malnourishment. So they were like super like on edge all the time. And a lot of these attacks uh, took place during the nights, which last longer. You know, Uh, we know that in like Alaska and Antarctica, stuff like that. I mean, it stays dark sometimes for, you know, like weeks out of the year sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And daylight is only going to be a few hours long at this time of year. The. Attacks are also occurring at night because Soviet campfires are the, there might as well be advertisements saying, come attack us if you're a Finnish sniper. Uh, So the Red Army soldiers start to really get beaten down uh, in terms of morale, but uh, it's having physical effects as well. A lot of them are severely sleep deprived. And one of their most effective strategies on the Finnish side was what War on the Rocks describes as weaponization of the enemy's hunger. So to have soldiers, you have to be able to feed them, especially if they're in, if they're conducting such strenuous exercises in such a demanding environment. During the Winter War, the, like if we were all Soviet soldiers, 
our daily ration would be like a hunk of bread and maybe some tea. On the other side, the Finns have everything hooked up. They've got these uh, preserved meats. They've got this very nutrient-rich, if not super appetizing, gruel. And they have these sled-driven cooking units that are just zipping back and forth, bringing home the bacon, or in this case, the sausage. Yeah, and we know historically um, sausage has been a very important staple during war times or just during more lean times because they last longer. You know, you can hang them up, you can pre-cook them or keep them freeze-dried or there's there's any number of ways to keep them from spoiling because it's the way they're, you know, cased and all of that stuff. So very, very important uh, staple. But the Red Army persisted because, you know, you don't say no to Papa Stalin, do you? Yeah, it's generally thought not to be a good idea. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino and I meant Monte Carlo. 
I miss it so. Uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos, and the last one, God bless it, I just I I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally, but it, it still was like a a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now. Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So the Soviets are rightly terrified and they're getting close to starving. If we fast forward to December 10th, we see that a Soviet battalion, the 139th Rifle Division, staged a surprise attack on Finnish troops near a village in the east. And this would have been a very easy victory for the Soviets, but because they were starving, they lost their minds when they ran into the cooking tents for the Finnish soldiers. They smelled sausage stew, and this was a purposely fat-heavy meal that was meant to keep the Finns fighting despite the freezing conditions. So they stopped their attack. They, like, dropped the whole thing, and they said, okay, let's get something to eat, which is pretty understandable, you know? If all you've been eating is, is not great bread and then maybe some tea, I, I'm not saying it was the right thing to do, but I, I definitely would have stopped for a, for a food truck. Absolutely. Oh, totally. Are you kidding? Especially like a delicious uh, sausage truck, right? And a bowl full of gruel. Oh, gruel. Now, look, I think gruel gets a bad rap. You know, I really was a big fan of cream of wheat when I was a small child. Uh, I think I would probably still enjoy it to this day. And I also enjoy pronouncing the hard H in wheat. Um, but uh, that's essentially what gruel is. It's just like some sort of, you know, pablum. Like, uh, you know, I guess it could be served warm. We could live on that. But yeah, you know, you can get get some sausage with that. I just don't like the word. That's what I'm saying. I feel like it's a negative connotation. It's like, let's just call it something else. Let's call it cream of wheat. But they could not resist that delicious uh, smell. And it would have stuck out, you know. You know, it would have been carried from far away in those freezing cold conditions. They uh, they never would have. they, They never had a chance. So it was too much for them. They did pause their attack. They got that Finnish sausage, and the Finnish defenders took advantage of that. Lieutenant Colonel Aro Pajari, uh, the hero of our story, was uh, happened to be passing through the area at the time, and he saw this wave of Finns that were, like, acting all panicky, right? Why are they panicking, Ben? Oh, they're panicking because there's this sneak attack that's happening that's only been stopped because the attackers are starving and now they're just gorging themselves on sausage, like jamming it in their mouths, you know, jamming it in their pockets, hiding it wherever they can uh, because they don't know if this opportunity will come again. We can't emphasize enough. These folks are literally starving. Pajari 
gets together a like a last minute group. He gets about a hundred cooks, clerks, and some gunners, and they are able to basically sneak up on this exhausted rifle regiment just after midnight on December 11th. And it this is incredibly brutal. This is a yes. bloodbath. It's one of the few times, um, at least according to historian William Trotter, it's one of the only times that bayonet fighting was recorded during the Winter War. Uh, they use a, the Finns use a particular thing called a puko knife. You heard of these? I haven't, but I just looked it up, and it's just a nasty little knife. Super sharp, like a like a, a deer bone handle kind of thing, and a short blade, real good for a shanking, stabbing, uh, and you could definitely slice a throat with it, very, very sharp edge. Uh, and they did just that. Throats were slashed, people were gunned down, uh, presumably, you know, while the steaming pots of... Uh, of sausage soup spilled out everywhere. This sounds like a real horror show, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because if you see those blades that they were using and things like truncheons as well, there's not a lot of range to those. This was very close quarters, bloody combat. It only lasted a few minutes. And as put in Finland at war.com, Soviets tried to scatter, but some of those soldiers ended up dying with their mouths in their pockets Full of sausage. Mm. So that is the very undelightful reason this has been called the sausage war. It's not what I think any of us were hoping for. We were thinking, hey, if it's like a food fight or there's something yeah, yeah, funny yeah. where someone like slaps Joseph <laughs> Stalin with a sausage and is like, I was waka, picturing waka, waka. A, a ratatouille type situation, you know, yeah. some sort of a delightful, you know, feud between an upstairs, downstairs kind of story, you know, for the ages with a happy ending where everyone eats together. Uh, no, no, no. And, and, and imagine I always I think it's always so dramatic when they do this in film. But I mean, presumably the snow would have just been stained with blood. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, when dawn would come for a few short hours, it would be a nightmarish scene. So after the immediate fighting, some Finnish soldiers are scouting around for escapees and they're using a lamp to stun their prey. And then another guy fires a submachine gun. The Finns lost about 20 people. The Red Army lost over 100. And that's just the bodies they found and counted. This terrified the Russian battalions. Very few people had survived. And it shows both the disorganization of the Red Army and just how adept the Finnish forces were, even outnumbered, and honestly, how ruthless they were when it when it came time to rumble. It's funny. I, I just think of the I think of the Finnish people as very like placid and you know just like like chill. But uh, that is my, my own inexperience with the Finnish people, uh, and I will not make that mistake again if I am forced to face off in battle with one of them. Yeah, actually, uh, Finland has a reputation for being incredibly effective in times of war. As a matter of fact, this is something some of our ridiculous historians were already thinking of. The world's deadliest sniper is from Finland. His name, I want to say, is Simo, Simo Haiha or something like that. H-A-Y-H-A, umlauts over the A's. Uh, he has at least 500 confirmed kills during this winter war. Jesus. I know. His nickname was the White Death. Appropriate. So they're very much a, uh, a Max, please beat me here. They're very much uh, on a f 
fuck around and find out vibe. Beep. Thank you. Thanks, Max. Very effective. You're you're the uh, you're like a Finnish uh, sniper of beeping. Mm-hmm. There it is. There it is. So, uh, with Max as our Winter Soldier, let's continue the story here. The Finnish forces realize how effective this is. How like critical the food situation is on the Soviet side. So they decide to weaponize it by ordering everybody to target Soviet field kitchens. So start removing the food or removing the access to it. Uh, this They finally found their weakness. Yes. Soviets need food. Mm-hmm. Which is what Checkers is referencing when they say you got to eat. You got to eat. Actually, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so this becomes kind of the breaking point, but still sausage is not enough to stop the invasion. After more than 100 days of war, Finland is finally overwhelmed. Just because Stalin was throwing bodies at the problem. They just couldn't compete with the the sheer magnitude of the firepower. And it's it's a pretty popular example for people who are students of military strategy because Finland doesn't have a big population at the time. It's considered kind of weak and isolated diplomatically, but it made the war so costly for Russia in terms of in terms of sheer blood and loss of human life. So wait a minute, are you saying that Stalin let his own ego and megalomania stand in the way of an effective war? Well, you know, uh, there, there, there are a lot of things that could be said about Yosef, um, and not all of them are good, <laughs> to, to put it lightly. But this, uh, this kill ratio is still one of the most extreme in the history of modern warfare. Uh, I think experts now estimate that Finland maybe lost 25,000 soldiers, but the Soviets lost somewhere around 200,000. And the ones, yeah. and many of those who didn't die were crippled for life due to frostbite. Yeah, that frostbite is absolutely no joke. Um, Finland did eventually fall to Stalin, though, um, despite this uh, very formidable uh, underdog moment. And unfortunately, they were forced to cede massive uh, pieces of, of their territory. But the army was so effective and seen as so effective that they were able to keep their independence uh, and were spared uh, the same fate as many of the other Baltic states. So good on Finland, right? It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's a brutal story, but war is a brutal industry. And it's just the worst. Yeah. And this conflict led to a lot of consequences for members of the Soviet military. And it actually led to some reforms that were sorely needed. But that is the story of the sausage war. No, it's such a brutal story that I don't I don't think we should just end it there. Um, Maybe we can give maybe we can get a taste of something lighter. Uh, I've got a little story for you guys. I I went through a period where I was looking at apartments in other countries, especially mm. when I realized that we can work remotely. And I got really into looking at Finnish apartments because they have they have all these cool innovations that you just don't see in apartments in the US. And one thing that struck me as weird is that like Every apartment building is just sort of expected to have a sauna. It's that right. much of the culture. 
It truly is. Uh, sauna culture is huge there. Um, ben, have you heard of a thing called a shower beer? Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's something that I was turned on to not terribly long ago. You have a nice, refreshing beer while you're taking a hot shower. Um, Well, in Finland, they don't have shower beers. They have sauna sausages. Yes, true story. It's so true. So uh, it's a cultural institution. People, like, it's such a part of Finnish culture that once upon a time, Finnish mothers would give birth in the sauna. It was the cleanest space in the home. There are 3.3 million saunas for a population of about 5.5 million people, meaning that almost every household has one. And like you said, Noel, people also cook sausage in the saunas. That's right. The traditional makara sausage. They use, you know, how the, the traditional wet sauna uh, would be a... Um, pile of hot stones that you then, you know, pour water over and the water quickly evaporates and creates the hot steam. Uh, So one way of cooking the sausage is to actually literally lay it over the sauna stones, which are known as uh, kioses, I think. Forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that. There are also little kind of little gadgets you can get. You can also wrap them in foil so they're not going directly on the the presumably... uh, you know, body uh, fluid covered stones. Not, you know, just just like sweat. Let's call it, just, there's going to be some sweat on those stones. So you wrap it yeah. in some foil. But there are some other innovations that are maybe a little more modern, right? Yeah, yeah. Like a uh, soapstone holder that is specifically designed to let you cook sausage inside your sauna. Also, I want to give our pal Gabe Luzier an arbitrary Ridiculous History Award uh, for finding finding this article called The Five Most Popular Finnish Sausages. This is the kind of stuff that I, I lose time reading late at night. But if you scroll down, um, you'll see that Musta Makara is the not only the most popular of the Finnish sausages, but it's also, you guys know I'm an adventurous eater. I try it, but it, it, it doesn't look super great. Uh, it is a blood sausage. So you're Makara hanging out is. in the sauna. Yeah. Yeah. You're eating your pig's blood, pork meat, and fat along with crushed rye. Um, it looks a little bit like poop. Uh, <laughs> just a bit. Uh, but, you know, no <laughs> knocking it. And maybe it tastes amazing. I'm just saying it might not be for everyone. You know, it's funny. It actually does seem as though Makara is specifically a type of sausage that's meant to be consumed in the sauna. Yeah. Yeah, you can eat it outside of outside of the sauna. You certainly can't, but it does seem to be a, a bit of a flex. Um, you got to have your sausage when you're in your sauna. Um, Are you guys sausage guys? I'm not really I love a sausage, sausage guy. I love a sausage, yeah. Good sausage, yeah. Like, you know, just like cheapo sausage now, but like you had like real sausage. Oh, yeah. It's like the best thing Dude, ever. Okay. I was yeah. just in Paris briefly, um, and I had this local sausage over a bed of, like, creamy mashed potatoes with some gravy, and oh, it was the best nice. sausage I've ever had in my life. It was just, like, you know, something about the level of, like, fennel and, like, the spices and things. It was just, mm-hmm. like, freaking awesome. So, French yeah, it cuisine, all depends. Yeah. French cuisine tends to use fresh ingredients, too. Yes. So I think that makes a huge difference. That's what I noticed um, last time I was in Paris. But, yeah, maybe sausage and a gravy. I'm down with that. Biscuits and gravy. You know, well, Ben, if you'll recall, Ben, if you'll recall the episode you and I were on of uh, Richard Blaze's food court, I argued for sausage. You argued for bacon. If I'm not mistaken, I uh, I reign supreme in that judgment. 
is a kangaroo court. I do not respect this jurisdiction. Um, uh, would you guys there. like to hear the court right here? Because I'm on Noel's side right now. Okay. My argument well, was the sausage is more versatile, and I think that was mainly what what, you what guys, Judge Blaze. You guys with. are the Soviets, and I am the Finns in this situation. So watch out. No, we're 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 gonna we're gonna end it diplomatically and peacefully. No bloodshed. Yeah, right. We won't we won't uh, stab each other just yet. Uh, and there's more than enough sausage and bacon to go around. Uh, but Richard Blaze's show, Food Court, is a tremendous amount of fun. So give it a listen if you get a chance. Uh, he's a super nice, brilliant, and objectively funny dude. He's, he's just a joy to hang out with. In the meantime, uh, I think we're going to call it a day. Uh, we've done... Am I a bad person for admitting that this conversation has made me hungry, you guys. Uh, again, I uh, peek behind the curtain. I have not had time to go consume my leftover Chinese food yet, so that right. is happening immediately. No, I mean the bloodshed part, maybe a little bit, but uh, the sausage. I mean, we uh, ended on the sausage. We yeah. ended on the sausage. Yes, and uh, and we hope you enjoyed this episode, folks. Thanks, as always, to our one and only super producer, Mr. Max Maximilian Williams. Thanks, of course, to uh, Alex Williams, who composed our track. And uh, thanks to our number one sausage, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. this quizster. We could do better than number one sausage. What, what should we do? Uh, I guess we'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.